This is the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast, where every day we work to help students excel through critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, and use of our lifelong guidelines and life skills. Today's podcast is a reflection of the time that Dr. Daggett spent with us here at CBA, and I brought in the two principals to help discuss that. So at this time, I would like to join the podcast with Kendall Terry, Brad Rasmussen, and Mary Lightford. We'd like to welcome to the podcast Mary Lyford and Brad Rasmussen. Mary is our lower school, that's pre-K through fifth grade principal. And Brad is our upper school, that's sixth grade through 12th grade principal. And I wanted to have them on the podcast today to just reflect on some things that they heard from Dr. Bill Daggett. Dr. Bill Daggett was on our campus. Um, when this is being recorded, it's the week before uh, this recording. And he spoke to uh, our community, our parents. He also spoke to Clayton Holmes employees. They were able to get him over there to speak. And then he spoke to our faculty and staff. And so Brad and Mary were actually in all three presentations. And I wanted just to kind of talk through some of what he presented. So if you're listening to this podcast and you were um, able to attend, you might have some of the same kind of thoughts. If you were not, um, you can get some of that from the podcast that we posted uh, before this one. But um, you might also want to just research some of his presentations and hear some of the things he's presenting because it always blows my mind. I know when I presented um, Dr. Daggett to the staff, I told him, you know, every once in a while, like, you know, push your chin up because some of the things he says, you kind of find yourself going, wow, like, I, I didn't think about that or, or do you really think that's going to happen? And I've been in presentations with Dr. Daggett where I've had that go through my head of like, no way that's actually going to happen. And then he was pretty spot on with it coming. Now, sometimes it, it came quickly and sometimes it was, you know, several years down the road, but he's pretty good about projecting kind of what's coming uh, down the pike. And so um, I think it's great that he's coming and we've actually already gotten him scheduled to come back again next year. So if you missed his presentations, you need to put it in your calendar. It's going to be in October, the end of October right now. Um, that's like the last week. We'll give exact dates as we get closer, but um, we do have him coming back to campus and, and speaking to our community again. So I just wanted to start then by just getting some initial reactions. And I don't know which of you want to go first here, but as you kind of listened to him three different times, and he did a little different presentation each time. They weren't exactly the same. There were some similarities, and then there were some differences depending on the crowd that he was talking to. So just kind of some of those overall reactions. What what kind of was going through your head, both as a principal, but then also as a parent and as a community member, as somebody that works with kids, what were just some of those thoughts that went through your head, whichever would like to go? Well, I, I first I want to say thanks for having us on the podcast and hello all of you podcast listeners. Uh, it's nice to be with you today. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I was really, there's so many things to get into, but my first thought is what I shared with uh, my team was I first saw Bill speak it was probably seven or eight years ago. And when I, when, I, when I was telling our team, our staff about the upcoming presentation, I said, listen, this guy is the truth. I mean, when, I, when we heard him speak seven or eight years ago, he was talking about Web 2.0, he was talking about Web 3.0, he was talking about how you know, Web 2.0 was, was good, but Web 3.0 was gonna be pulling information in so many more in-depth ways what you saw right now with your email, he was talking about AI even at that point with generative mm -hmm. work and how email would uh, sometimes prompt and fill in a word or two that soon it was gonna be filling in complete sentences, phrases. He talked about AI 
at some point was going to start filling in paragraphs. And listen, everything that he talked about yeah. is happening today. Yeah. And so when I sit down and listen to Bill Daggett, I think my experience with him causes me to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Now, he's a futurist, and he's talking about things that nobody can prove are actually going to happen. But when he talks about them, he has enough authority and has enough experience and talks to people at a certain level of society, whether that's politicians, governors, um, you know, school superintendents, Washington, D.C., and has had so much national and international uh, experience. Um, I listen when yeah. he speaks. And this time, I think what I really took away, and we'll, we'll dig into this a little bit more, were a couple things, but the biggest thing for me was AI is a tool that we cannot afford to ignore. Mm-hmm. And we cannot afford, if we really want to, to prepare our kids for the future, our students, we cannot afford to not help them learn how to use it. I agree. I agree with everything you said, Brad. Thank you, Kendall, for having me, yeah. too. Um, I have heard Dr. Daggett multiple times, many years, and I, I will put a plug in for him coming back. If you did not get to come, it is well worth an hour of your time, hour and a half at the most, probably. He is, um, like Brad said, world-renowned, international, and just so advanced Mm-hmm. Um, he's innovative. He's inspiring. I go to his conferences and I sit and I'm like, I can't believe an hour went by. Right. He's so uh, informative. And so I took a lot of things away from it. And then as a lower school principal, part of me was like, oh, I don't know if we'll use a lot of AI in lower school. But then the more we started talking about it, I can see so many benefits but so, so also some challenges, but I loved hearing all three times that he got to speak with Clayton Holmes and our community and our faculty. So I was um, very appreciative to be a part of it. Yeah. You know, he, he had a statement on one of his slides that, that the first time I heard it, you know, it's kind of one of those of like, I never thought of it that way, but he was talking about the age of, of information technology which is IT mm-hmm. is really gone at this point and it's the age now of artificial intelligence and you know I thought about that and I was like oh I don't know mm-hmm. but then I started thinking about all the ways that AI is already embedded into my life I do use I'd use the the predictive text and emailing right you know and, it's, mm-hmm. and I look and go oh yeah that's what I want to say you know tab go ahead and mm-hmm. say that yeah um, we use Alexa and Siri we use mm-hmm. Um, you know, even map programs that people, mm-hmm. you, you don't think about, it's not, you're not using technology when you pull up Google Maps or Waze or whatever mm-hmm. it is you're using. And, you know, I'll use it when I'm traveling and, you know, you get down the interstate and all of a sudden it's like a new right. route, you know, is up. Yeah, well, take me on the quickest route. Like, that's what I want. I don't think of that as artificial intelligence, but that's what it is. Of mm-hmm. it's, it's attaching me to people that are up the road ahead of me that all of a sudden now are sitting still in traffic and it's saying, hey, you don't want to go that way. Um, I went a new route this last Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving before last one of the which, uh, last two years. I was going to West Virginia to my grandparents' house, which I have driven multiple times, you know, and we're driving down the road and it's like, you need to exit. You know, the thing came up of exit and I'm going... No, this road literally goes almost directly to my grandparents' house. Like, you know, 
and it took me down in a valley I have never been in in West Virginia before. But on that path, I could see the interstate that I just came off of, and sure enough, set and still traffic. And I'm going, I've never been on this road, and you know, everybody in the car almost got car sick, you know, trying to to get through the valley because it took you all the way down, you know, and then all the way back up. And I mean, we were on a lot of curves, but we bypassed a ton of people just sitting still and it was the ai that did it like mm-hmm. you don't think you know i wasn't thinking about it not being just technology but right. it is a form of technology but it's the ai that i've come to rely on right i mean amazon reminds me to order stuff that hey you you've ordered this each month for the past four months it's that time you know and i look over coffee creamer is one of the things i use all the time because uh, i like my coffee i actually like creamer with a little bit of coffee um but <laughs> you know it and it reminds me, hey, and I'll go and check the creamer that I'm using. I'm like, you know what? It is about time for me. If I don't order it now, then it's I'm going to have a gap of, you know, available creamer. Uh, so it's amazing how much we're already using AI. Um, we've said that about self-driving cars as well. You know, people are always like, well, I'd never get in a car that's self-driving, you know. And it's like, well, how much do we already use? We already use sensors to tell us when we're backing up. We use sensors to tell us that we're cl- too close when we're pulling into parking places sensors that'll tell you you're on the white line or you're on the yellow line. Well, all of that's just going into the computer and if it can warn you, then it can also figure out how to correct you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, it's wild. My brother's car now is self-driving to a degree. He has to still have his hands on the wheel, yeah. you know, but it drives itself, which I think that's kind of, I, I still think that's a little creepy, but yeah. um, the technology's there. Like we're already using it and it is the age of inform- of, of artificial intelligence more so than saying the age of information technology because we use it so much more f- than just for information yeah. right mm-hmm. um, when you look at at the school you know we've tried to be um, as cutting edge as we can be in technology and in, in, in areas that we can afford it right in technology I mean that's a big piece is what can you afford um, what can you implement with our teachers that we can train them how to use the technology that's, that's in front of them um, and then what can we use with our students? But when you're thinking about how we try to integrate technology on our school campus, not even talking about like what's coming down the future, but what, how do you feel like we've done that? What, what do you feel like our teachers kind of input back to you what that is? And, and how do you think we've approached it as a school? Um, for the lower school, I think uh, we have an amazing technology instructor, Lori Vines, and um, she is always trying to be up on information and so she was very excited about Dr. Daggett's speech or perform presentation and she came and talked to me yesterday about it and had all these ideas that she's wanting to implement and wanting to check on Um, but what she's always done has tried to integrate into the classroom she Mm -hmm. goes and meets with our core teachers to get ideas of what they're teaching so that she can also enhance it with the technology and I know there's kind of the debate of whether you need a pull-out technology class. I truly believe you need that in the lower school because then she can emphasize the skills mm-hmm. of the technology, teaching them to type, but also she does algorithms and she does coding. When you hear Dr. Daggett, it's not going to be necessary maybe, <laughs> but I do think that it brings to life the technology side of it that you can't get in the classroom necessarily during the time. 
And then what she gets from the core teachers is the content, but she can then help with the skills, which he also emphasized the skills now. Yeah. So I feel like it's um, we do a really good job in the lower school of sharing ideas and sharing information and integrating it then. That's awesome. And you know, it's I think it's an ongoing conversation because we want to position ourselves where we are allowing our students opportunities to immerse themselves in the technology that they're going to need. There's a lot of ways that you can invest money and time and capital in technology that's no longer going to be even relevant to these students. Right. And I think one of the things that makes me think about that at the upper school is, you know, for parents and and even for us as educators, one of the things that we're really wrestling through is no, but what are these students really going to need mm. when they get into their life? Because I'm not a digital native. Right. You know, these right. kids, we talk about that. These students have had technology in their hands from the time they were young. And especially, Mary, your students, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, there's not a fifth grader that didn't have access to probably iPads and cell phones when they were babies. Right. Right. And so you can spend a lot of money and a lot of time trying to figure out what technology actually they need to learn. The thing, one of the things that Bill said uh, that really caught my attention was in the last three years, the largest growing CTE, career technical education program in the country, has been coding. Mm -hmm. And the Department of Labor released statistics in June that says basically coding skills will be taken over by AI as soon as in the next 15 months we're going to start seeing yeah. those jobs yeah. disappear. Yeah. Now, we've had this conversation with stakeholders and with our parents and with groups to say we, we've never wanted to buy into a particular brand of coding or a particular class that was specifically coding oriented because we didn't want to fall prey to, hey, you know Python, but Python is no longer used anymore right. and there's another language that's being used. Right. And because of the way that that happens with coding languages so quickly, but I think it's a good... Uh, example to talk about how we want to give our students skills within technology that allow them to critically think and allow them to analyze and so what we do instead and what I think we I can be really proud of with technology is we oftentimes use a project or a scenario or a class to combine what is a student interest and what is the project going to need and then what skills are you going to need to learn and so it's an adaptive skill. It's yeah. an adaptive technological skill that then if a student needs to understand this about this coding to be able to get this robot to do this thing for this project, then they are gonna dig into what that looks like. And so I think that adaptive technology that allows us to, one, be vigilant with our money and not pull resources into things that may or may not exist, but allows us to explore and to adapt our students' learning based upon what they need for that class. I'm really proud of that. And I think that goes along with this mindset that, you know, flexibility is maturity. Mm -hmm. And in education, we get really caught in mindsets and traps. And if a curriculum is coming through and everybody adopts that curriculum and everybody gets, you know, we can get really stale. And so yeah. for me, I think what I love about CBA and what I think Dr. Daggett presented that gives us maybe a vision for the future is to continue being adaptive, 
to continue to allow technology to be a tool that our students know how to access and use, but we don't only provide them with one set of tools. Yeah. So for instance, another good example of that is, do you teach them Google or do you teach them Microsoft? Well, what we really want is students to be fluid in software application so that if they're in a, an environment where they're using Google tools and they're using Google Docs and Google, you know, they understand that ecosystem, but if they need to switch to Microsoft and they need to do something that's more corporate oriented, then they'll have enough fluid skills in that environment to be able to move between them. And so it, I think that's our goal and I think we do that really well mm -hmm. here at CBA. And I think when you look at the technology programs that we have from Lori Vines with um, kindergarten all the way up through you know, middle school, we, we have a set rotation that we have kids go through, right? Like you don't let them mm -hmm. say, well, I only want to stay in the music and arts world. You, yep. you know, yep. they have to take a, 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 a STEM class. They have to take a robotics class, you know, along the way. And then we allow them to start specializing some when they get to high school of, yep. of this is the elective I want to take. But it gives them that foundation of a lot of things. You know, I look at all the stuff, Lori Vines, the stuff that she does with our elementary folks. I mean, it, it is amazing, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and if you've not checked out the stuff that she does or had a conversation with her, you, you should, um, because she does introduce them to a level of coding, introduce them to a level of, of robotics. Uh, you know, she introduces them to green screen stuff, you know, it, and she's giving them these little tastes of stuff that then in middle school, they start to expand on it a little bit more. And maybe they're working on their drones or they're working on mm -hmm. Lego robotics or they're working, you know, it, we allow them to kind of progress and see the reason for it and not just teach well, now's the time that everybody learns coding. So right. we're gonna come in here and we're gonna code for something that, that the kid says, well, it doesn't really have value. You know, the stuff I see with Lori Vines and what she integrates is they're coding, but they're coding for this project that they're doing for class. Right. So now it has value and they're seeing there's appropriate times to use coding. And then there's other times that we're not coding because that project, I don't need to know how to code to do that project. And, and you know, now I need to know how to do the circuitry to, to make this banana play it tune or whatever you know that she does yes. um, that's that's giving meaning and value to there's a lot of technology out here let's use it when appropriate which is one of the things we talk about with our teachers right of use technology when it enhances learning mm -hmm. and when it doesn't enhance learning don't use it mm -hmm. you know and I've said to teachers that have asked about like well do I need to use a, the TV or in the room or do I need to use the projector do I need to use and I'm like if it makes sense yeah you know if I walk into uh, Jenny Spots's classroom down there that she that she does with our middle school and she is a very creative teacher. You know, she doesn't have computers out a lot of times. Instead, she's got them out in the woods, you know, and we're <laughs> trying to make sure they have a pathway to get up into the end of the woods or what. But she's got them doing things out in nature that makes sense to what she does with her kids. And then she's using the technology that makes sense to use in that. She might be having them take pictures and document or she might be having them do whatever um, where they're using technology about what makes sense to use it but giving them all of those experiences so that as they figure out what they're wanting to do or as they get in that scenario they might go wait a second there's a piece of technology that i could use here that would make sense and i might have to go do some refreshers on this but i at least know the technology is there yeah yeah um you know i look at that that's i love woodworking um on a very minor scale not uh it's not worth anybody to like pay attention to but i just enjoy it like it's it's a fun like way for me to 
hobby. Yeah, a hobby. <laughs> and but there's a lot of times I'll pull out something and I'm going to YouTube to remind myself like exactly how I'm supposed to use this tool that I bought, you know, four years ago and I haven't used it in four years. But that's it's not that I don't have the tool and it's not I'm not an expert at it. I sell that like I'm not an expert at this tool. Mm. But I also know how to get more information about it if I need to use mm. it that I can get by. You know, if I'm doing something for my house, the only person that has to look at it is me and my wife, right? Mm. So um, I don't care if it's exactly right, but it's it's giving the resources to use and integrate technology when appropriate. And I think we do a pretty good job of that from Lori Vines and what she does in elementary all the way up through the stuff that Dr. Lucas and Jenny Spots do with our kids. And then even into um, our high school setting and, and what our teachers are integrating and trying to use the technology for. When you guys were listening to Dr. Daggett talk about the skills um, that he mentions for success and, and what companies are looking for through the McKinsey report. Um, some of the things that they've put out with the future focus schools and, and what schools should be doing. I mean, there's a lot of similarities there automatically, right, to our lifelong guidelines, life skills that we already know are important. We have value here. Um, when you were listening to him, what were some of the thoughts that came through of like, this is a challenge as a school that we're going to have to to figure out, adapt to, to be flexible with. And we don't care to hit that head on to say, we know this is going to be a challenge. We got to figure this out as a school and we're not afraid to figure it out. Um, what were some things that, that maybe came to your mind when you were listening? Yeah, I think, I think one of the challenges that we're, we're going to have to face is um, the fear of change when it comes to artificial intelligence. I think that's something that probably all of our stakeholders deal with at some level, whether that's a parent, whether that's a teacher, whether that's an administrator looking for planning, whether that's a student. I think that there's a lot of things that we don't know about artificial intelligence. And so what we're seeing is a very rapid deployment of various different yes. types of, of artificial intelligence that is that is outdating itself in a cycle, in a half-life that is crazy fast. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a couple challenges that I think are inherent to that. One is we can't be afraid of what we don't know. We need to really be able to discuss, analyze, find good resources. Um, what we can't do is allow misinformation or just fear of the unknown or fear of change to be the guiding force behind our, our, um, our assessments and our planning. Um, what, we, what we need to be is informed. What we need to find is look for ways that we can find consensus. Um, I know teachers, oftentimes when Dr. Daggett is in a room full of educators, you know, they leave quaking in their boots because they're so <laughs> scared of what he's talking about. And at the same time, what I want to do is face those challenges and help our staff and our community and our stakeholders really understand, here's what's at stake. And, and to me, what's at stake is how do we prepare these students for their future, not for our past? Bill Daggett yeah. said that in one of his slides. It was really his his marquee slide. Was that, that was the name of his presentation, preparing our students for their future and not our past. Well, why do we fall on the past? It's because that's what we know. Mm -hmm. And the future seems scary because it's unknown. Mm -hmm. But what we can see is that these shifts, cultural shifts, are happening. Mm -hmm. And so... We can't, we don't, none of us have a, a, a magic ball that we can predict the future, but we can really look. There are a few things that, that Dr. Daggett reported in the McKinsey report, and one of the, the things that I think is, is really important that will be a challenge is understanding what AI cannot do mm. 
and helping our students become proficient in all of those skills. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a lot to unpack in that statement, but it really comes down to how can we utilize AI as a tool and let it do what it's supposed to do. It can aggregate information, it can assimilate information, it can prepare briefs and prepare all kinds of, of information, but then we've got to teach our students how to edit it, how to analyze it, how to look for mistakes, how to look for bias, how to look for inaccuracies, and really how to understand critically, how to understand and think through the process of taking that information and then applying it in a way that makes sense. So I think That's those good. are all challenges that we've got to be forward facing and really looking through. Yeah. For me, when I think about the lower school, um, one challenge that came, comes to mind is balancing, being able to balance technology and paper pencil. Mm -hmm. Because as a parent, even though my child has grown, um, how important it is to have fine motor skills to actually write yep. pencil, paper, the skill. But to balance, then, like you say, using the AI, because even in the writing, those foundational skills, learning how that can actually help the student become a better writer, because they do the work, writing it physically, but then using AI to maybe edit with them and say, this could be better this way, that just is big. I yeah. mean, I feel like for my world of lower school, of just having that balance in the classroom. I know as, as parents in our community, we're here seven hours. They don't want them on technology six hours right. of that day. And <laughs> I don't either. Right. So finding the balance of, you know, using the technology appropriately mm -hmm. and to learn from, but also getting those foundational skills in that are so important, as Dr. Daggett shared, you know, the reading, the language arts, and the math are so, we don't want to skip anything, but using technology then to enhance it, or the AI piece of it. And then the other piece would be the communication, I think about being able to communicate with our families. You know, what are we doing? Because we're always reimagining education, and that's who we are, and I love the fact that we aren't stale. Mm -hmm. We don't just have a curriculum that we buy into. We create it, and I just feel like, you know, we got to communicate with our families. Just like you said, there's that fear, which I have the fear, you mm -hmm. know, too. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that in the classroom, the teachers are communicating with families, and as administrators, we're communicating. Um, so those are the two challenges that come to mind as a lower school principal, the balancing of technology yeah. and then yeah. the communication of yeah. it. I think, you know, you guys both hinted on this, um, and Brad, you were talking about it as well, of just flat out the speed at which technology mm. is coming around. And it, I guess it makes sense to me to think of it this way, of, of AI being able to write code. You know, Mary, you talked about, you know, that same thing of maybe code writing isn't as important. AI is able to do it. You mentioned that, you know, the labor report that was out with coding. And, you know, you look, whenever I was growing up, my dad was always pretty progressive with technology. Um, and so we had, we would have, we had a, a house computer PC. Mm. Looking back, I wish we still had it because I think it was an original Apple. Mm. Like, man, that would have been yes. worth some money. Um, <laughs> you know, that that got outdated quick. But, you know, most of my childhood, we had computers and then you had like, 
laptops that would that eventually came along. I remember I used my graduation money to buy a laptop to go to college. Like, you know, I saved up and it was a big deal and then was trying to figure out what do you do with a laptop that's different than a PC, that sort of thing. And, uh, but the computer itself, there were minor changes, but the computer itself was pretty much the, the computer. You know, you had you, you had the rise of Windows programs stuff to make it easier, but you it, you still kind of did the same kind of thing on it. When you get to 2008 with the the um, addition of the iPhone, mm-hmm. and you think about the speed at which technology started, because really, you know, Mary, you you mentioned this with your kids. If if you're looking at a kid that's 12 and under, mm-hmm. they've not known a world without an, an iPhone, and pretty quickly in there too was iPads. Mm-hmm. And you think about how many, how much we use iPads now with kids. You know, a lot of families use iPads with kids. I'm not vouching for or against using it. I'm just saying a lot of families do use it that way. And they are in a world where this has always been the case. They, they've always had these kind of technologies around that instantly connects you to the world um, and brings it in at a rate that, you know, I remember being in the classes where you had to learn how to, to search in Google or search in Yahoo or whatever, that, you know, and you had to use Boolean uh, phrases oh, yes. and yeah. you know I had a whole class I remember in in, <laughs> at, in school where they teach you how to do a Google search and I'm like even now like I just go in and ask Google directly the question I want like mm. I don't try to mm. do anything special boolean phrases or anything you know I just type the question I have in and it understands but that speed at which we have seen it really ramp up I mean it, you used to have to go a while for a new technology to mm. come around and I mean now it's like mm. You know, Dr. Daggett was talking about ChatGPT came out, what, about a year and a half ago? A year to a year and a half ago? Yeah. And that really started to get people to think differently about AI. And then he started mentioning all these AI tools on the screen that I'm like, I, I was still using chat. Like, I've already been outdated, um, <laughs> you know, on there. I was like, oh, man. Um, but it got down to the last one. Of the last ones he had on there was Claude. Um, which I have now played around with, you know, since he mentioned it. And it blows me away the differences between the two and the advancement even in that of a whole new software within a year, year and a half that can do things that I would have never thought possible to do. Mm -hmm. And so to say AI is writing code, well, that now think about that. That speeds your whole thing along because you don't have a person that's writing the code for that software that you're doing that might have human error in, that can only work a certain amount of hours a day, you know, that gets fatigued. The computer doesn't get computer fatigue, and the computer doesn't have to have a lunch break and a and a, you know a, a get home at the end of the day and and sleep and all that. It, it can keep going. Well, that makes sense now that why some of this is coming coming around so much quicker is because the computer doesn't have to have the break that the human had to have that was making the technology I was using. And so that's a that's wild to think about, and that's a challenge that we're going to have to figure out. Um, I think as we go forward, of once again, our kids are going into a world that we didn't walk into, yeah. you know, and I, I know my parents would say I walked into a world that they didn't, you know, they wouldn't have thought I walked into either, but it is drastically different. Yeah. Um, and so trying to figure out how to use this appropriately and um, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it is exciting. And I think, you know, one of the things that I took a lot of uh, I, t- I left with a lot of confidence in CBA and a lot of reassurance was when Dr. Daggett showed the the work that he's been doing um, and and basically that portrait of a graduate mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. 
the National Council came up with, and I, I don't remember all of the different words that he used to describe the, the different groups of people that came together to create this, but basically, uh, in a nutshell, it was, you know, corporate America had gotten together to tell superintendents and governors and politicians what the skills are going to be that they need for their future workers. And um, basically, it came down to about 54, 56 right. um, skills in four different quadrants. And many of those skills were very reflected in our lifelong guidelines and life skills. Yeah. And when, it, when they further reduced that to a portrait of a graduate that would have skills working going into the 21st century, it, it really was almost a mere reflection mm -hmm. of our life skills and lifelong guidelines. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Dr. Daggett said is, tell me a school where those types of skills are on their report card. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all of us at CVA are raising our hand. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, later on when Dr. Daggett spoke with just our staff, he said, I want to tell you, you know, I'm going to push you because you're not done yet. Yeah. But you are so far ahead because you've adopted behavioral and emotional and social skills and you are teaching them to students and you are assessing them and you are helping students grow with them. And, you know, if those are the things that employers really need, collaboration, critical thinking, and problem solving were three of those yep. ten attributes that a portrait of a graduate needed. And those are right in our mission. Yep. You know, responsibility, that's a life skill. Um, creativity, that's a life skill. You know, uh, of the ten words, I think eight of them were actually in our... Right. You <laughs> Directly. Know, I can think of one empathy that is not necessarily a word now we talk a lot about things around empathy yeah because um, then you can put in the caring the kindness we, and we, the friendship we talk about right. friendship and caring in our life skills so you know when you look at that and think that's one thing we don't need to change yeah that's one thing that we can hang our hat on that the continued work that we can do to help our students access to learn to practice to be assessed on and to sh to demonstrate are those life skills and lifelong guidelines. And those are the things that AI cannot do. Mm -hmm. That we've got a corner on the market if our students are understanding all of this, this these skills. And so I, I think that presents a challenge and an opportunity in the future because we can continue to dial in and really mm -hmm. perfect how it is that we're asking our students to demonstrate those life skills, how we teach them, how we assess them and how they become even more normalized in our world um, because that's what an employer is going to notice. Yeah. Can I add something? Yeah. When you were talking, it made me think about digital citizenship. Mm -hmm. And I know Dr. Daggett spoke of the ethics of technology. And I think it's so important, especially, well, I think because I'm in lower school, we're the foundation. So I just feel like uh, I spoke to Lori about this yesterday, and she does a each quarter she does an emphasis for a week at, at a time on digital citizenship and the ethics mm -hmm. side of it. And we were talking about how important it is that it's got to be more than just in technology; it's got to be taught in every yeah. classroom. Yeah. And with with the changes and the quickness of the changes really emphasizing and I think that goes along with our life skills of you know integrity yeah you've got to yeah. have yeah. that integrity when you're using this it's not a tool to cheat with but it's a tool to make us better so right well and I think that we 
that's that fine line between being afraid of how somebody might use the technology mm -hmm. wrong because mm -hmm. what do we know people are going to use the technology wrong right, right? i mean that's just human nature of if there's a yeah. there's always going to be people that are going to choose to do it the way that everybody would say you shouldn't really use it that way yeah. that's out there but it's teaching that you know what he called digital ethics but the more it, it, it comes up every time we talk about like digital citizenship mm -hmm. is really just citizenship it is especially in today's world because digital is is all-encompassing mm -hmm. and so it goes back once again to those life skills Absolutely. like if you have integrity then you have integrity in a digital space and you have integrity in the physical space if you're responsible you're responsible in a digital space you're responsible in a physical space yeah. and teaching our kids that these are not different places which man if we can figure that out right yes. because then yes. you know how many times have you seen something in a social media environment that you go face to face they would not yeah. have acted yeah. like that yeah. they would not have said that yeah. and it's that disconnect then for them of you know, if I was sitting here face to face with you, I probably wouldn't have said that. Right. But I went over here and said it on a social media site. I should have seen that as the same. Mm -hmm. And helping our kids understand yeah. that. And you know, I, I think that I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think that's an opportunity we have in the future is to really um, continue to hone that ethics mm -hmm. conversation. You know, the other thing about digitally is the reach of that statement. Mm -hmm. You know, is exponentially greater mm -hmm. and so what happened in that moment then gets online and then the damage of that can be repeated again and again and again Absolutely. so you know there are so many things that make the digital space unique integrity is integrity but I think our students really have to understand and they need to feel the weight of those decisions mm -hmm. and this goes right in to me it falls right in line with restorative practices with the way that students are asked to take responsibility for their actions and not just pay some kind of punitive but right. really own up to what they did and then make a restitution plan that has to do with regenerating some something positive in that space where they created an unhealthy you know uh, repercussion yeah so i i think so many ways there's an outline for the future that is contained in our core values um, I just think it's really a matter of some of this is pivoting, some of it is accepting and understanding the technology that's coming at us um, and realizing that AI will be a tool mm -hmm. and if we, we really can't avoid it. I, right. I think that's one of the things that I noticed in Bill Daggett mm -hmm. talking, like you can try, but it, it's unavoidable. Be left and so when you stick your head in the sand, right. in in a in a moment like this where this this technology is going to be so wide sweeping then you really are putting yourself at a loss yeah mm -hmm. and so i look forward to conversations with stakeholders and with different aspects of our elements of our community um, because even the statement in our handbook right now that was a collaborative statement written by you know teachers and students and parents and even looking at it now it feels somewhat outdated <laughs> because we wrote it you know, eight months ago. Right. Mm -hmm. Not even that long, it doesn't feel like, but it, mm -hmm. it, it's quickly become outdated. Yeah. Um, and you yeah. got to say, okay, well, how can we update this to where it still makes sense, it's still relevant. Right. Um, right. Also, what I like about CBA is the partnership that we have with our parents. Mm -hmm. You know, when we think about ethics or citizenship, you know, the partnership that we can include our parents to buy into it, our life skills, and we emphasize that a lot in our conferences that, 
we want them to be talking that at home and modeling these life skills yep. at home. So I think it's a great place that we are at at Clayton Bradley to have our parents a part of it. Yeah. And so. I think we do a pretty good job of balancing that. I know I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like tooting our own horn here, but we do a pretty good job of balancing when to use things in the appropriate way and and how to help kids hopefully make that next step. I I was just yesterday I was at my eye doctor um, with the kids and and we were just chatting about some different things the school does. He's always interested in what's going on at the school, and he said, "Do you guys teach kids how to do an interview?" Mm-hmm. And I don't know what kind of <laughs> interviews he had done apparently, but uh, he's done some that weren't great, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, all the way down the lower school with the Amazing Shake, you know, we start to teach kids how to introduce themselves, how to talk in that professional way, how to do the elevator pitch. And as they go through school here, you know, we, we continue to, to make that a little bit more challenging. I was telling them at the high school level how we start to integrate, how do you write professional emails? How do you call someone on the phone? And we, and we do this. I mean, it's funny to say, like, we practice this with our kids, but... We have them um, in one of the uh, Summit Series classes, they have to call, because I've, I've been on the receiving end of the phone yep. call, they have to call somebody and talk to them in a professional way. And then we have them actually set up and do an interview with people on our staff. And, and some of our community members even come in and help with that. But it's teaching those skills as well. Like we're not just saying we're teaching kids how to use technology and that's gonna be the answer for all of their questions. We're teaching them soft skills. We're teaching them the lifelong guidelines, life skills. We're teaching them how to be good citizens. Um, because what doc, Dr. Daggett also mentioned is something that has happened to me. Of, of you know, I've noticed that some of the neighbors that have moved into my neighborhood, um, I recognize those names because not too long ago they were sitting in one of my classes. And yeah. you go, oh, I hope we taught them how to be good citizens now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Like, yes. they're the ones that are moving in next door, or they're the ones that, you know, you're finding at, they're the ones you find at the store that are helping you, you know, check out, or that are, you know, waiting tables, or that are showing up in doctor's offices. One of the students here actually um, worked for a little while in my kid's pediatrician office, you know, and so you mm-hmm. show up, and it's like, that kid not too long ago was in my class, mm-hmm. and now he's helping take care of my kids, and, and you know, help get them through the sickness that they had or whatever. Like that's important that we've created people that can interview, that can talk, that can be good citizens um, and use technology in an appropriate way. And so um, I think we're on the right track, but like Dr. Daggett's challenge to our staff is we're not, we haven't arrived. Yeah. Yep. You know, we, we have to constantly be adapting and, and being flexible and figuring out the world and evolving to it. Um, if not, then we get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Well, thank you both for sitting down and talking about this. You got it. It was a pleasure. Mm-hmm. It was fun. And uh, we will, I'm sure, have more conversations in the future about uh, things that are going on at the school. So uh, we just want to uh, thank you and go ahead and put it on your calendar. Late October, Dr. Daggett's going to come back to school, uh, CBA, and uh, it's going to be another great time with him, I'm sure. This has been the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast, where every day we work to help students excel through critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration, and use of our lifelong guidelines and life skills. If you'd like to find out more about CBA, you can find us on our website, www.claytonbradleyacademy.org, or on social media sites at CBA STEM or at Clayton Bradley Academy. We hope you have a wonderful day.